David Spada is a successful attorney whose dream was to become a sports talk show host. Elliot Harris is a Chicago sports columnist who wanted to expand his media presence. In the next hour, they combine their talents and love of sports and women by interviewing former professional athletes and lovely ladies on sports and torts. But keeping the boys out of trouble isn't always easy because when David and Elliot are together, they have more fun than should be legal. Welcome to another edition of Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com with David Spada and Elliot Harris. We have a great show lined up today, a couple of very interesting guests. We will start off with Martha Jo Black, who is involved in fan experiences with the Chicago White Sox, but I think more importantly is the daughter of Joe Black, who pitched for the Brooklyn Dodgers and was the 1952 Rookie of the Year and room with Jackie Robinson. Here's our interview with Martha Joe. We are at U.S. Cellular Field, which is what this is, home of the Chicago White Sox, and we are with Martha Black or Martha Joe Black. Which do you prefer? Uh, you can call me Martha Joe Black. Okay, Martha Joe Black, <laughs> who is in charge of the fan experience for the White Sox, but more importantly, I think. You are the daughter of former Brooklyn Dodger pitcher Joe Black, 1952 Rookie of the Year. Yes. And you were born after his career was over. But I'll assume at some point you had the opportunity to talk to him about playing in the big leagues, playing in the Negro leagues. Yes. Uh, my father and I spoke quite a bit about uh, Major League Baseball as well as the Negro leagues and playing in Cuba as well. Okay. So he started off, obviously, before baseball was integrated in 47 with Jackie Robinson. Correct. He played uh, nine years or so in the Negro Leagues. Yes. Must have started off when he was a teenager, because by the time he was a rookie, he was 28 years old. Correct. So it's like... He was old. He he was no spring... (laughs) I mean, you know, it's sort of like... uh, and a very experienced rookie. He played for the Baltimore Elite Giants. Correct. What was that like? Um, what my father said, because he had Roy Campanella um, on the Negro League team with him, that it was great. It was like brothers, um, that they all traveled together. They took bus trips to every different city. Um, it was enjoyable because he knew who Satchel Page. He played against Satchel Page and Double Duty, Radcliffe, that was a big White Sox person here as well, um, and stuff like that. So he said it was definitely a good experience, and he was doing something he loved. Okay. Do you ever get to go up against Josh Gibson, do you know, the legendary catcher? Yeah, I'm not sure if he ever went against Josh or not, but I'm sure he did because they'd probably be around the same age. I'm sure Josh was just a little bit older A little bit older, older I think. Yeah. <laughs> And also, I want to say, I think Junior Gilliam also was on that uh, Baltimore team. Yes. So, yeah, after you had Jackie Robinson break the color line in 47, then you had Campanella, Don Newcomb, Joe Black, Junior Gilliam. It's like. Right. They were, yeah, the Dodgers had more, um, obviously, after Jackie than the Cleveland Indians had Larry Doby right. um, as the American League first. Um, 
that's when Bill Vec was the owner. Right. And I think Bill Vec years prior to that had tried to, to integrate, to the, in, sport. integrate the sport, but uh, met with resistance from the owners. No, that's true. Branch Rickey had resistance as well, but I guess he was like, mm, I'm going to do what I want. So. <laughs> you had a chance to see the movie 42 yet? Yes, I did. I saw it last week. And your critical assessment? I thought it was great. Um, obviously, for me, I teared a little bit because I was like, oh, my gosh, that was my dad's roommate. I mean, not really in the movie, but, you know, <laughs> that was all the things that my father was telling me about. Um, but it was a very, very good movie. So um, I think everybody should see it because it's just not about black or white. It's about integrating, which I think is integrating society. Right. It's not just about baseball. Right. It's about society as a whole. And that's what I believe Jackie and he reminded my father that was a bigger picture for what they were doing. Mm -hmm. They got to play something they love, but it's about integrating the society because that's what we needed. Now, your father roomed with Jackie Robinson with the Dodgers, correct? Correct. His rookie year in 52. And did he ever talk about that? He, um, which, which is mentioned a little bit in the memoir that I have about my father, but um, that he was a little nervous the first time because he got there early. You know, when I'm kind of hereditary in that, that you're nervous to <laughs> you get somewhere early and you're like, okay. And he's like, oh, there's two beds in here. I don't know which one he wants. And he was like looking around. He's like, okay, I'm just going to wait. <laughs> then Jackie walked in and then Jackie, you know, said, Hi, Joe. And then they started talking, and Jackie's like, take whatever bed you want. And then that's when they um, just had a good conversation. Jackie, of course, I think, to my, my memory, um, asked my father, so do you know how to fight? And my dad's like, of course I do. And he's like, okay, well, we're not here. And kind of explained the reason, because this is for bigger than you and I. It's for we need more people to be um, called up to the majors that are also black at the time. So... So Jackie sort of played the role of Branch Rickey, mm-hmm. as Branch Rickey had explained to Jackie. Right. That, you know. And he needed that, that. I mean, I think at one point, even to this day, a lot of people need reminders of this is the bigger picture of why you're doing this or why you're asked to do this. Um, and my dad and Jackie became very, very good friends. Um, unfortunately, when Jackie passed away, my dad spoke at his memorial and to my understanding, I was a child, so, so I don't remember all this, but my mother said that they had to pick she and my dad up in a helicopter with me, and my mother thought we were going to die because we were in a helicopter to fly my dad to be um, next to Jackie and Rachel. Yeah. Now, both Jackie and your father enjoyed uh, careers after baseball that, that had nothing to do with baseball. Jackie was with Chock Full of Nuts, mm-hmm. and your father was with Greyhound. And Greyhound was based in Chicago at the time, correct? Correct. Um, it moved to Arizona in 1971. Um, the executive from Greyhound Corp, when my father got out of baseball five years after in 57, he became a school teacher in Plainfield, New Jersey. And he took his students to um, Yankee Stadium, Evans Field, you know, because they were still around. And uh, they were at Yankee Stadium when my dad was with students, and there were two executives from Greyhound. Keep in mind, during this time was the um, Memphis riots and it was a Greyhound bus that got burnt and they were like oh we need African we need black people at the time um, to get on the bus that's some of our money we need somebody that they're going to like see and like recognize to a certain degree and so they um, stopped my, my dad with the students because they were all, like, it was Yankee Stadium, like, getting all the autographs from Mickey Mantle, Moose Gowan, I think, was on the team at that point. And they were talking to my dad, and the guys were like, uh, aren't you Joe Black? And my dad's like, 
yeah, hi. I'm Joe Black. And, like, stripped their hand. They're like, don't you? And he's like, oh, no, I'm a school teacher, which obviously back then they were very surprised. They were like a school teacher. Hmm. Yeah, these, these are my students. They're like, and so you graduated. Yeah, my dad's like, yeah, I graduated from Morgan State. I have a couple. I took some classes at Seton Hall and Rutgers, and I have a master's degree, too. And they're like, uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> well, here's a business card. Call us. We'd like to talk to you. And my dad's like, okay, thinking you don't really want right. to talk, talk to me. But sure, I'll keep your card, right. and I'll give you. And they, my dad wrote down, because he didn't have business cards for a school teacher, wrote down his number at home. And um, they called. And my dad's like, uh-huh, okay. They're like, we'd like you to come to Chicago. And so they flew my dad to Chicago, interviewed him. Um, my dad just took vacation from teaching. And um, so I guess that when he met with them, they're like, yeah, we'd like for you to start. And we this is what we want you to do. Um, and we want you to communicate with the African-American community to say, you know, Greyhound's still safe. We'll protect you. We're here to drive. That was a bad incident that happened. We will protect you by any means. And my father's like, okay. And then he went back to Plainfield, and um, he was like, they offered me a job. <laughs> and um, at that point, he got advice, I cannot recall from which friend, to say, don't quit, take a leave of absence. And so my dad took a leave of absence from teaching, came to Chicago, and um, started working his way up the corporate ladder to do things for Graham. And I have to assume that's a pretty big leap for him, because he had grown up in New Jersey. Right, Plainfield. You know. And which is all mixed as a community. Right. So, I mean, it was from white, Hispanic, um, people of religion, the Judaism or whatever. And it's like if you no one was rich, really. I mean, there were some wealthy people, but there were very few. Um, and so my dad felt very comfortable speaking to people. And he knew that because he was just out of baseball, so to speak, that people may recognize him if they liked. Mostly men would recognize him. Um, and he's like, well, and he's like, and he was confident enough, thanks to his mother, um, reminding him of that, that he's, he, she's like, you can do anything that you want. Okay. So it comes from a family of strong women? Yes. My dad had a lot of them. And he has, he has a daughter who's one as well. Oh, thanks. <laughs> At that time, Baseball players, even when they were playing, needed jobs in the offseason. Correct. And a lot of them would go into selling insurance or automobiles or, or whatever it was. During, do you know during his career what he did in the offseason? It's so funny, yeah, because he, he told me when I was younger but that I became older, and I was like, no wonder I like clothes so much. He worked in retail <laughs> stores and different shops. Um, I have some picture as my dad and some boxer, which I, please forgive me, I don't remember his name, and I have to find the picture to be like, who is this? Um, but they were in a retail store. My dad did that. Um, I know he just picked up any job. I mean, they all had to work. I know, to my understanding, I think Newcomb? No, not Newcomb. Campy or Jackie, somebody owned a car dealership. I, I think believe. Campanella, at, and it may have been after his career, I believe, owned a liquor store. Okay, I knew somebody or owned liquor. it might have been during his career, I don't know. Yeah, so they all yeah. owned and started to do different stuff because they had people investing money because of who they were. Right. they the, knew people would come. Right, you know, a lot of, not a lot, lot but there were several ball players would end up owning bowling alleys that they could put their name on. Right, right. And, you know, or, you know, some of the more fortunate ones might have a restaurant or something like that. Right. 
see, you were born after his career was over. Correct. So you only got to hear second or third hand what he was like as... As a baseball player, yes. And I had to see pictures of him to believe that he ever played. Because you said, oh, that, that's, yeah, a, yeah. that's a nice story. Yeah. because no, re- re- Really? What, what were you? <laughs> my, my dad had to show me a picture, and he wrote, autographed one of my pictures to me. And he's like, this is a dad that you didn't know this body, that you've never seen this body on me before. Because <laughs> I, when I was born, my dad was six, two and a half, over 300 pounds. So I was and like. He, so you weren't familiar with the, the, yeah, sl- no. the slender. I was not. Fi- I did not know who Joe Black at six two and a half, two fifteen looked like. I was like, who is that? And then my girlfriends, because they're my age and a little bit older, they were like, your dad's really good looking. I was like, that's disgusting. This is who he is. That is not him. Okay. <laughs> that's totally two different people. So now you do have an older brother. Correct. Who was born in fifty two. Okay. So fifty two was a good year for the the Joe Black family. Yes, yes, it was. Um, my brother was born in May of 1952, um, so he was a baby. Um, so, so he probably doesn't remember your dad. Um, not that playing, much. You know. um, I think he remembers a little bit. I know when my brother, because my brother's mom and my dad, they lived obviously in Brooklyn, um, back east. And so when my brother was old enough, like especially in high school, and my dad was, you know, doing some stuff and coming back and visiting all the time that um, my brother was a great athlete himself, and so he would do something great on the basketball court or something, and then the article would start with, Joe Black's son, <laughs> and then my, I guess to my understanding, my brother would get very upset. Well, I would, then, I don't you think that's understandable? Right, right, I mean, it is. It's I mean, kind of like King Griffey Jr. and Senior. You're like, really? You know, uh, Junior kind of made his own name, I think. Right, but, yeah. you know, it's one of those things that, and my brother did get upset about that, and um, his mother was like, you will always have that in your life. Because your father was somebody that people knew. Um, and you should be proud of that and not upset about it. And, you know, you should take it from that. But I can imagine it's somewhat hard. And then, you know, for myself, I thank goodness I didn't have to worry about it. I didn't play softball or anything. So okay. You look at your dad's career, and it started in May of 52, and it ended in September of 57. So he would have been uh, 33 or so. Right. Which, back in the 50s, was was about normal for a, a player's career to end, you know, sort of like early to mid-30s, and that was about it. Correct. As opposed to, to nowadays where you see guys last into their 40s, 40s. sometimes. Uh, I think part of the reason careers are longer is uh, medical technology, and another part is the, the money that <laughs> that they can earn. Yes, right. No, that's true. It's like okay, I can make ten thousand dollars pitching, or I I can get on with my life. Right. And, right. Uh, if your father got on with his life, no, he definitely did because he had um, his elbow. He had um, chips in okay. his elbow that bothered him. So, and he didn't want to get um, shot up to numb it. All the time and stuff like that. My my whole side of my father's family is very anti anything doctor. <laughs> so really? he was like, uh huh, okay, I'll do it. And and he would be good for a while, and then it would bother him. And he's like, it's not worth it. So so he relied on the good second part, which was the educational part okay. that led him. And I will assume that he passed that along to his children as well. Yes. The importance of education. Oh, yes. Lectured many a day. Lecture about study this, read this, and don't forget to save your money. You're like, okay, Okay. yes, we do. And and you listened. 
Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> on occasion, like any kid, on occasion. On occasion, yeah. And then about 10 years after they tell you something, the light bulb goes on. Yes. And you go, oh, yeah, he's not as dumb as I thought he was, right? Exactly. It's um, like, oh, yeah. And then you start to sound like your parents after yeah, a while. Right. Which is scary. So, sometimes that's good. Sometimes you sort of recoil it when right. that happens. Right, and then you, you slap your own hands. You go, oh, my yeah. God, I, I've become my father. I've become my mother, whatever hey, it is. Yeah, exactly. So how does Martha Jo Black end up with the White Sox? Um, I got out of school. Um, I graduated from Cal State LA in Los Angeles, and my dad was a consultant for Major League Baseball at the time. He's like, oh, all right, I'm going to do a resume for you. And I was like, hmm, didn't have a job, Dad. Remember, because I was blessed. I didn't have to work. My dad paid for everything for me. That was the corporate side, not the baseball side right. that did that. And um, he was like, oh, I have some friends. So he um, sent the resume to MLB. He's like, okay, my daughter needs a job. And Major League Baseball started the Arizona Fall League. And so I started with the Fall League in 92. And then um, after that, it was kind of like an internship. And I was like, oh, it's nice. My dad's like, you don't want to live here anymore. And Arizona, I was like, yeah, no, I don't. Yeah. Well, that's where you grew up. Yeah, that's where I grew up. But I went to school in Atlanta. I went to Spelman my first couple of years. And then I graduated from Cal State LA in Los Angeles. So I was like, yeah, Arizona's kind of boring. I don't want to stay here. <laughs> and um, he's like, okay, well, send your resume to people. And I was like, yeah, and again, I have no idea what this resume is. <laughs> you know. And um, he just so happened to send it to uh, Jerry Ray Reinsdorf, who had is a huge Brooklyn Dodger fan. And so they connected, and the White Sox called me, and I interviewed, and I got the job in the ticket office in 1993 and had to work my way up from there. And you must have sold a lot of tickets. No, just just all that customer (laughs) service, all that great customer service that we go through here. After you get hired, I assume at some point, Jerry Reinsdorf says to himself, uh, I, I want to talk to Joe Black's ex-daughter because Jerry, Jerry would have been, a, I want to say, a teenager when my dad a, about the time your dad was. Yeah, a, probably young. Well, yeah, because when my dad got called up, Peter O'Malley was 14. I remember Peter O'Malley okay. told me that. And so Jerry must have been probably 16. I think they're a couple years apart. Um, but, yeah, no, it was actually funny. I knew my dad told me um, that about Jerry because I had no idea I'm from Arizona and so I was working in the ticket office and where the ticket office is it's a hallway and um, Mr. Reinsworth was walking in and I was like oh, I think that's him because we had media guides so I knew I knew, knew, you, knew the, you knew the picture right and I was like oh I'm college educated I know who I can pick people and so when he walked in I was like hi Mr. Reinsdorf I'm Martha Joe Black and he looked at me he goes you can call me Jerry and he grabbed my face he goes you look just like him. And I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I was 23, and I was like, I have no idea what to say. But I was like, okay, nice to meet you. And then I just went back in the ticket office. And that was it. That was it? That was it. I mean. You guys have never talked about the Brooklyn Dodgers or anything? No. Um, Jerry and I have spoken probably more, besides hi and how are you, you know, general conversation um, since my father passed away. So he, um, he looks out for me a great deal. Because he and my dad were so close, and my dad told him everything. The lectures that I did not get, he gave them all to Jerry to give to me. And I'm like, hey, oh, my God, my father's not gone. Okay, so I right. lectured a lot. Yes. 
He lives on. Yes, he lives on. It, it, Just it, a shorter, smaller version. But yes, he lives on. A little and wider. And a little, yeah, a little pale. <laughs> Although if he gets out to Arizona, you know. He gets, he gets tan. Right. And then when he does come back from Arizona, he goes, now I can say I'm your adopted dad. It's like, yeah, I guess so. You're on the back of the bus with me. <laughs> I remember uh, Jackie Robinson being honored the 25th anniversary of breaking the color barrier. Mm-hmm. It was 1972 All-Star Game, and Jackie Robinson's, you know, by no means content with where African Americans had gone in the game. They'd gone to the playing field, but he wanted to see them managing and in the front office. How do you think your dad would assess where where Major League Baseball is today in regards to, to all that? Um, I think he'd be happy because he, there's a lot of people that were in the, like, um, Jim Lee Solomon was in Major League Baseball. Um, I know he left to do some other personal things that he wanted, wanted to do. Um, like Frank Robinson's still involved, um, and a lot of teams. Don Newcomb still does things. I think Lou Johnson for the Dodgers. So they still have um, roles within the organizations, um, which is good because at one point they were never asked to have any right. roles um, where other players would be. And they're like, okay, okay what? I'm not chopped liver. What's going You're on? Right. You're like, I take showers too. You can call me. <laughs> um, and so I think my father would be happy. I think that at this point, because I am his daughter, I think he would like to see probably more after. American women um, maybe get a little more involved with Major League Baseball of like various teams um, I can say from what I know about being in Chicago that I have a lot of friends that are doing things in the African American community trying to get kids to not be around the wrong people to do bad things in the street like, like other people have done and um, they're like most any minority female doesn't know that their jobs for them because you think of sports, that's all men all right. that play. And and I think they should know that women of any nationality, white, black, or purple, can get a job in any sport. You just have to go to college and do the right things and, and try to, if that's anything that you like to do. I mean, because a lot of girls do sporting activities. So you have some interest in sports. So why not work within a sports team? Yeah, and it's not a question of whether... Martha Joe Black can throw a 90-mile-an-hour fastball or, or hit Correct. the ball 500 feet. Right. Yeah, there's other skill sets that are requisite for a for variety a of job. jobs. Right, and I think that so many people just don't know about that. I will assume uh, Jackie Robinson and your father would be happy the day they see uh, an African-American commissioner. Yes, and I, you know, I, I guess you have Magic Johnson as a part owner, but I think of the Dodgers and the billionaire team, team, yes, right. But I, you know, I don't know how big piece of the Dodgers. I think that a lot of that sort of a, a, a PR. Yeah, I think it's very quiet. I don't know how. The I, I think you'd like to see, you'd like to see an African American who's not a former player who's who's just. An investor, a, a business person, person that like takes you know, the Jerry Reinsdorf was. You know, he he may think he was a better ball player than he was, but you know, it's not like Jerry, <laughs> Jerry Reinsdorf was a Gold Glove uh, shortstop or anything. Right? No, I mean that's true, but I definitely think that. Um, I think that, honestly, and I'll be honest, and it's going somewhat to pol- politics that I think they both would be proud because we have an African American president, um, and I think, and I will tell anybody, whomever it is, I'm like. If there was no Jackie Robinson, there would be no President Obama. Right. 
I, I think that 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 his what he did and that when my father came in, what all of those players did to get us where we are in this country is why we are where we are. Um, political, you can be Republican, independent, or Democrat, but you have somebody who doesn't look like the norm. And I can say the next one could be a female president. So I, I think that all of that were different steps that helped get mold this country to where it is going right now, and hopefully it's going in a better direction than where we are right now. Right. Well, you look around and you think back to before Jackie Robinson broke the color line, you think, okay, yes, we've come a long way, but you also at the same time say, it, there's a long way still to go. <laughs> no, there's definitely a long ways to go, but you have to keep in mind, Jackie broke, broke the color barrier before there was Dr. King. And, and I think that there's, those are all, to me, little steps that are getting right. somewhere. And I think that, unfortunately, as Americans in this country these days, we have kind of like, we're all very settled to where we are. And that's all of us that need to do more to keep moving it forward. Um, and I think that we've somewhat just stopped. And, and I think that there's so much more to do for everybody to do. Right. Now, lately there's been uh, concern about the lack of African-American ball players in big league baseball and the commissioner is putting together a committee, and I, I don't know how you, you remedy that. If it is a problem, it, it's, it's not as if African-American athletes don't have options. It's, it's just that once, you know, to go to the NFL or to play Major League Baseball, it was a no-brainer. You'd play Major League Baseball. Right, because you have a longer career. Right. I think that um, for most, I can't even think of these players' names that are African-American, but they play in the NBA, that like a Kobe Bryant, his he, he didn't come from a poor family at all. Um, he had a decent, <clears throat> right. good upbringing. And I think that for, for a lot of kids, that when you are not in a, middle class, if there's even a middle class any longer, or upper middle class level, um, do you, can you afford a bat? Can you afford a baseball? Can you get, um, do you have other people right. to can play you get, with? Can you find a dozen people? To right, or at least another one, right. one other person to play, to at least play catch with, or, or to do, do something right. with, and I don't know if that's really accessible to a lot of kids, and maybe they're not parks, and unfortunately, because again, this country, because we're not moving in the right direction, do you want your kids to go outside and play anymore? Because a lot of kids right. don't. I, Arizona, yeah, I could play, but there was always a parent. There was always a tattletale parent somewhere that if you did something wrong, some, somebody was going to tell. But now the attitude is, oh, it's not my problem. And that's not, again, that's not us moving forward as a group. And I mean that as not just African-Americans, but anybody. You know, and I think that all children should be able to play outside. But if there are no parks for them to play, how can they play? And they can't. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing. Yes, Major League Baseball has a commission. You know, they're setting up the whole team to try to figure it out. But and I can also say from the financial side, since people are like, I just need really, I need money. You get quicker money playing in the NBA and the NFL sure. than you do Major League Baseball because you have single A, double A, and triple A. Well, I was you really say, hope you, somebody breaks their legs, so you get called up. Right. You don't have to worry about uh, okay, three years in the minors or four years exactly. in the minors. You know, and and you get instant gratification. You get huge signing bonuses. So. Right. Um, Major League Baseball does play quite well because <laughs> sometimes I'm like, wow, if I just had your dinner money, I'd be <laughs> really rich. Well, and you look at baseball and you say, okay, there's always going to be a, a place in the game for the star African-American athletes. To me, it was always a question of 
that 25th, 24th man on the roster. Right. Who, who does that spot go to? And, and uh, a, a lot of times, and this may be a generalization, the African-American player ends up at AAA, and that, that's the way it was for the longest time. So, And now you have the great influx of uh, players from all around the world. Right, not, right. Not just the Hispanic ball players, but from uh, Asia. And, and, yeah, I mean, you have everybody. I mean, and so you have everybody playing a sport that they love, and so it's not as centralized as Caucasian and black. Right. You know, so now you have, you have Hispanic, then, then you have Latin, and then you have um, Asian, and so you're like, okay, so where you have to be, again, ten times better. I can say, as when I was younger, um, especially during my dad's era, that myself and maybe your daughter can have the exact same grades, everything, but I needed to have one more A because I needed to be one step ahead for them to even give me any recognition. For back, you know, during that era, and I think now for um, African American players, you, you have a lot more competition than when you did before. Because now you're like, you have no idea who's coming at you, right? You know, from different countries, and you can't say, well, gosh, if I did that, I mean, Darren Jackson, who was played here and our radio host, um, he played in Japan, right? Do you, know, do you know, and he said it was great. And he's like, oh yeah, and he talks about some stuff on air that things were very different, and I was like, oh wow. I wouldn't know that. I haven't been to Japan. You know, so, and what uh, for African-American kid that lives um, by 35th Street can go to Japan? Not too many. Right. If any. Can we expect someday for you to chronicle all uh, all this knowledge of Joe Black in uh, some form of uh, a book? Yes, you can. Um, I actually have finished the manuscript with another writer, Chuck Schaffner. It's going to be Joe Black more than a Dodger, um, and it will it will be my father's whole entire life. Um, and of course, it includes baseball. The first chapter will be in about 1952 when he won the game, the victory of all. Um, and the final chapter will be um, about my father dying. Um, it's long ways. That's still 78. So you have a lot of reading to do. Um, but yeah, Peter O'Malley. Yeah, that, I mean, that's forward. 50 years of. Yeah, of knowledge and everything. So you have baseball, you have corporate, you have, you know, different programs he started. Um, I And I am the child. And, you know, when you're the child of somebody, they're like, okay, just do this, do that. Your parents really don't ever tell what they do, they don't brag about themselves. Um, I did not know until Peter O'Malley wrote the forward and I read it. And I was like, wow. My dad's the one who started the baseball assistance. Now it's called baseball assistance team. Um, it was the baseball. Oh my gosh, I just went blank. It was named something else, and they switched it to baseball assistance team um, later. And I was like, I had no idea because he wanted Major League Baseball and people to go out and help right. players. I mean, my father was friends with King Griffey Jr. because of King Griffey Senior, you know, and stuff like that. Seniors were a lot younger than my father would be, though. And um, <laughs> He would talk to players, and he was like, so we need to help these other players. We need to help umpires. We need to help anybody in the Major League Baseball family. The Negro League players my dad got to get insurance and everything because they had nothing. My dad may have made 10000 with Brooklyn, and a Negro League player may have made 2000 Yeah. Well, and your dad was big, as I understand it, along with Jackie Robinson in, in uh Trying to institute a pension plan, right, for the for, for, for the players. for those ball players because they were older. My dad was a rookie at 28, and you know Satchel Paige was what 
50? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> pick pick a number. Die, you yeah. know, nobody Who knows. Do. Right. You know, and so it's one of those things that they, and they were great players. They just didn't get the chance. They needed Jackie Robinson to be 1940 and not 1947, right, for them to have some time to play because they had enough youth at that point, and they didn't. And um, and it's sad, and I can tell you from what I know, there are – my dad used to help with the Negro League events that would be here at the ballpark. I think there may be one left, one Negro League player, real Negro League player, not their children. Well, th- you know, there are those who came, came along uh, – sort of toward the end of the Negro Leagues? Right, when it was basically over, the Negro Leagues was kind of over because they were the sport was integrated at that point. Um, and it's funny, I will tell you, because I have talked to some people that come here and they're like, oh, I play in the Negro Leagues, and they're 62 years old. And I was like, really? Really? My brother's 60. I don't think he did. And they're no. like, well, you know, and I was like, oh, you mean your dad did? So, you know, that's, you know, a lot of children are saying they play in the Negro Leagues and they didn't. I mean, any man that's 65 years old, he did not play in the no. Negro Leagues. So, which is sad that no. companies believe well, and, that. Well, and that, that, that was, uh, I don't know if you can call it one of the victims, that was one of the results of integration of baseball right. was the demise of the Negro League and then... Uh, it, I think it lasted. Uh, the Indianapolis Clowns might have been the last team, you know, into uh, the mid to late fifties. I think was about the extent. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know. But it- uh, you know, there's probably a, a few guys in their eighties floating around. Someone, right. But I think it, there's one in um, Chicago, and I can't think of his name right now. But um, but just one that I know of, and yeah. like there was like twenty that would right. come here. You know, I mean, we have the Double Duty Classic here and everything. I was going to say, you had the benefit of having Double Duty Radcliffe around yes, so for a funny. long time. Yeah, and he was funny. You know, he covered just about everything. About the whole. In every position. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, he, he went back to, to the days of uh, of Josh Gibson and, oh, yeah. and even before then. Yeah. So, uh, he. He, he was a great character too. But, yeah, he was very funny. But, uh, so we will wait for uh, spring to come to Chicago, which should be what Sunday, Mid- middle of May. <laughs> yeah, hopefully middle of May when we come back, because we're here until the twenty eighth um, for this homestand. Then they're gone until like the second weekend in May. So hopefully by then. It will be at least 60. That sounds good to us. I know. All right, Martha Jo Black, thank you very much for your time. Well, thank you very much. Okay. And when we come back, we will have former Chicago White Sox knuckleballer Wilbur Wood. You're listening to Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com.